Section twenty two of Autobiography of Benvenuto Cellini, Part two. This is a LibriVox recording. All of LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Autobiography of Benvenuto Cellini, Part two, Section nineteen, Chapters one hundred and eleven through one hundred and thirteen. Chapter 111 Having quite completed my crucifix, I thought that if I raised it some feet above the ground, it would show better than it did upon a lower level. After I had done so, it produced a far finer effect than even it had made before, and I was greatly satisfied. So then I began to exhibit it to everyone who had the mind to see it. As God willed, the duke and the duchess heard about it on their arrival then from pisa both their excellencies arrived one day quite unexpectedly attended by all the nobles of their court with the sole purpose of inspecting my crucifix they were so much delighted that each of these princes lavished endless praises on it and all the lords and gentlefolk of their suits joined in chorus now when I saw how greatly they were taken with the piece, I began to thank them with a touch of humour, saying that, if they had not refused me the marble for the Neptune, I should never have undertaken so arduous a task, the like whereof had not been attempted by any sculptor before me. It is true, I added, that this crucifix has cost me hours of unimaginable labour, yet they have been well expended especially now when your most illustrious excellencies have bestowed such praises on it. I cannot hope to find possessors of it worthier than you are, therefore I gladly present it to you as a gift. After speaking to this effect, I prayed them, before they took their leave, to deign to follow me into the ground floor of my dwelling. They rose at once with genial assent, left the workshop, and on entering the house, beheld my little model of the Neptune and the fountain, which had not yet been by the Duchess. This struck her with such force that she raised a cry of indescribable astonishment, and turning to the Duke, exclaimed, Upon my life I never dreamed it could be one-tenth part so beautiful. The Duke replied, by repeating more than once, Did I not tell you so? Thus they continued talking together for some while, greatly in my honour. Afterwards the Duchess called me to her side, and when she had uttered many expressions of praise, which sounded like excuses, they might indeed have been construed into asking for forgiveness. She told me that she should like me to quarry a block of marble to my taste, and then to execute the work. In reply to these gracious speeches I said that, if their most illustrious excellencies would provide me with the necessary accommodations, I should gladly for their sakes put my hand to such an arduous undertaking. The duke responded at the moment, Benvenuto, you shall have all the accommodations you can ask for, and I will myself give you more besides, which shall surpass them far in value. With these agreeable words they left me, and I remained highly satisfied. Chapter 112 Many weeks passed, but of me nothing more was spoken. This neglect drove me half mad with despair. Now about that time, 
the Queen of France set Messer Baccio del Bene to our Duke for loan of money, which the Duke very graciously supplied, as rumour went. Messer Baccio del Bene and I had been intimate friends in former times, so when we renewed our acquaintance in Florence, we came together with much mutual satisfaction. In course of conversation he related all the favours shown him by his most illustrious excellency, and asked me what great works I had in hand. In reply I narrated the whole story of the Neptune and the fountain, and the great wrong done me by the Duchess. He responded by telling me how Her Majesty of France was most eager to complete the monument of her husband Henry the Second, and how Daniello de Volterra had undertaken a great equestrian statue in bronze, but the time had already elapsed in which he promised to perform it, and that a multitude of the richest ornaments were required for the tomb. If then I liked to return to France and occupy my castle, she would supply me with all the conveniences I could ask for, provided only I cared to enter her service. These proposals he made on the part of the Queen. I told Messer Baccio to beg me from the Duke, if his most illustrious excellency was satisfied, I should very willingly return to France. He answered cheerfully, We will travel back together, and considered the affair settled. Accordingly next day, in course of conversation with the Duke, he alluded to myself, declaring that if his excellency had no objection, the queen would take me into her employ. The duke replied without a moment's hesitation. Benvenuto's ability in his profession is known to the whole world, but at the present time he does not care to go on working. Then they touched on other topics, and upon the day following I called on Messer Baccio, who reported what had passed between them. Then I lost all patience and exclaimed, Oh me! His most illustrious excellency gave me nothing to do while I was bringing to perfection one of the most difficult masterpieces ever executed in this world, and it stands me in more than two hundred crowns which I have paid out of my poverty. Oh, what could I not have done if his excellency had but set me to work? I tell you in poor truth that they have done me a great wrong. The good-natured gentleman repeated to the duke what I had answered. The duke told him we were joking, and that he wanted me for his own service. The result was that in my irritation I more than once made up my mind to make off without asking leave. However, the queen preferred to drop negotiations in fear of displeasing the duke, and so I remained here, much to my regret. CHAPTER 113 About that time the duke went on a journey attended by all his court and all his sons, except the prince who was in Spain. They travelled through the Sanis Maremna, and by this route he reached Pisa. The poison from the bad air of those marshes first attacked the cardinal, who was taken with a pestilential fever after a few days, and died at the end of a brief illness. He was the duke's right eye, handsome and good, and his loss was most severely felt. I allowed several days to elapse, until I saw their tears were dried, and then I betook myself to Pisa. End of section 22